Wait, so does that mean you learned how to do a backflip? Please. Uh, no, no. Oh. I was that like I was trying to listen to the last couple episodes just to make sure that you know, like if I could be ready to talk about anything. And yeah, all I had was Dennis Rodman and backflips. <laughs> and my husband was like, let's watch it. Like, come on, let's. <laughs> That's good. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. Well, good. <clears throat> Today we have uh, Megan Ulrich joining us. Um, just a little bit of background maybe for, for listeners. We don't like to talk to the listeners very often, but um, you were uh, out of the blue, this listener that sent this book. And I think you mentioned you never emailed us before, correct? Megan? Yeah, yeah, I hadn't reached out before. So caught my attention. Uh, I got this book in the mail at the Newman Center here and and read it in the confessional. I think I mentioned it when we talked about it uh, at the time. Um, just beautiful, honest uh, poetry that left me feeling more human and wanting to be more human, um, mostly about motherhood. And uh, I was like, who is this person? Um, and I can't remember how I got your email address, but sent you an email and yeah, the poetry's really stuck with me um, and the other guys. So I thought since it's quarantine and we're trying to podcast more, let's like make it interesting and get an interesting person on here. So um, I'm <laughs> interested. I know, <laughs> I know uh, you guys probably have questions, but I, and we've talked a little bit so far already, Megan off the air, but um I'm just interested in your story, like how you, not so much the poetry, but like who you are um, and how you got to where you are, especially faith wise. Like, why are you a Catholic? How'd you become a Catholic? Were you cradle? Uh, and how'd you like come to where you're at in life? Yeah, that's a huge question. Because um. <laughs> honestly, I was like, who is this person? And I still, I know some of it, but not all of it. Yeah. Um, well, I am a cradle Catholic um, and have always gone to church and participated in the sacraments. And that was always a big part of our family culture and our family life. But I don't think I really took ownership over my faith until uh, college. And so a lot of these poems really do come from that time, come from uh, being 20, being in college. I got married in college very young um, and then had my first son when I was still in school and just wrestling with a lot of just vocational things, uh, really just coming to a point where I wanted to take my faith more seriously and um, knowing that going into the vocation of marriage that I needed to take that seriously and also just being immature and trying to, to wrestle with all those things at the same time. So getting married early was not because you were already super Catholic? No, not necessarily. Uh, my husband and I had known each other since I was 14. So when we were in college, I think we were just tired of waiting. Um, we knew we wanted to be with each other and we were just ready to start. And really from that time on, I think is when when I started doing like the marriage prep and um, going to like NFP classes and realizing like, oh, wait, <laughs> this is this is going to be really hard. Um, this isn't just some like fun thing that we get to do together. Like, I hope that it is fun and joyful, but it is also a huge commitment and not just right now, but a commitment to to try to pull my husband towards heaven. And yeah, <laughs> just the weight of that, um, I think, still sits with me. And so how old are you now? You've been married I'm, uh, yeah, I've been married for uh, about five and a half years, and I am 26. Nice. Wow. Well, so wh actually, where are you right now? <laughs> what state are you in? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what color hair do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm in Tennessee. <laughs> Uh, and I was telling Father Connor before we started that two hours ago, my internet went out at home. So 
I just frantically called my sister and was like, I need somewhere with internet access and microphones. So uh, I just, yeah, drove over here during a pandemic and invited myself into her house and uh, and am recording at her house. So wait, sorry, you brought you dropped out for a second. You said you're, you're whose house? Oh, I'm at my my sister's house uh, right now. So the guy that was helping you set up the microphone is my, yeah, it's not my husband. That was my brother-in-law. Yeah. Dang. I was like, oh man, that's the husband from the poem. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I was going to like have my kids come in and say cute things and yeah, it's it's all lost now. That's all right. So you have, is it two, is it two sons, Megan, that you have? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My oldest son is five um, and my youngest is two. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I'm curious, so of of all of the art forms and different, I guess, mediums that we can humanly use to express truth, especially some of the stuff that we talk about on on the podcast, like painting, film, music, uh, poetry, of all those things. TikTok. TikTok. (laughs) What? Is that that a thing? Oh, gosh. Dude, of course it is. No, I mean, I know what TikTok is. I'm I'm cool. I'm... (laughs) I definitely I, know what TikTok is. Yeah, come on. I, and, but for the <laughs> listeners who don't know, maybe it's kind of like it's kind of like Vine with music. Well, I for sure know yeah. what Vine is. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Watch, actually. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I know. Answer, I have, ask your question. I have high school. I have high school siblings. I know what TikTok is. Okay. I'm oh, also speaking of having young siblings, Megan, are you aware that fanny packs are actually cool? Uh, no, they can't be. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm so serious. What, how many siblings do you have? I have uh, four younger brothers and an older sister. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, and none of them wear fanny packs. Well, maybe none no. of them are cool. Yeah. Either, <laughs> that's, that's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or apparently the wave of, of the fad of fanny packs. Um, I, well, I don't know if it's already crested, but there's already a group. <laughs> That is, I'm so serious. That is anti fanny pack because it's so popular. This yeah. is, and I told, I told the guys this. My sister no, told me. It's not that it's popular. It's that it's quote basic. I think it's a. Oh, uh, okay, that's exactly sorority girl. It's a sorority girl thing. That's what I've been told. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I asked one of my sisters. I said because one of them wears fanny packs, the other one doesn't, and I said, "Wait, Mary Margaret, do you wear a fanny pack? Like, is this a thing right now?" And, you know, she's a college student, like young, hip little girl. And she goes, no. And I quote, I don't wear fanny packs because I'm not that basic. Mm-hmm. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which is funny because I, well, I once a couple years ago, I looked in my, as you do, look back in your notes in your phone, like things that you took notes on. And one of the titles of the notes was merch ideas. And it was just three things. It was fanny packs, <laughs> soap and slap bracelets. <laughs> so we did talk about all those things. Soap. Yeah, three dogs north soap. Oh Lord. <laughs> like the little round one, but really, really small. Like yeah. like uh three quarters of an inch diameter. Like little soap. Like a hotel. Yeah. They they travel a little dog on it. A travel, yeah. But the dog disappears after like one use. <laughs> yeah. So then it's just yeah, a yeah. tiny little penny sized thing of soap. <laughs> so of all of those forms of beauty i i feel like poetry i've always struggled to um to like make sense of it it's really hard work for me to understand poetry and where i think just like looking at other mediums of beauty it just comes a lot more naturally and a lot easier but to decipher what's going on in, in poetry and, and to actually understand the beauty of uh, you know what's being expressed in in poetry is honestly is not something that I naturally possess and and I don't know why that is but is is that something that you have always loved to do and and have you always written poetry and um I mean I guess generally speaking another big question like t- can you talk about your passion for poetry because it's it's very evident in your writing and it's not something it's something that's foreign to me um but I think you're somebody who's close to it yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that I've always been interested in. Um, my undergrad degree is in English literature, so I took a couple creative writing classes, but mostly just enjoyed reading, uh, reading poetry or reading short stories. And uh, 
yeah, I think <laughs> it's so much harder to, in my opinion, to write a novel or, oh, am I still out? No, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, it seems so much harder to to write a novel or even a short story anytime I've tried, uh, just so much more complicated to me. And so just sitting down and having one idea that I want to express and being able to focus, you know, a whole page on that idea. I think that's what's drawn me to it. Who are your like poetic heroes? Who do you read? Um, I really like Sylvia Plath. <laughs> uh, hmm. I wish that I knew more Catholic poets. And I think that's something that I need to, I guess, look at more now as I keep developing this, because most of the poets that I like led fairly tragic lives and mm -hmm. were not necessarily people that I would want to be like in real life. The Emily Dickinsons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just have a like a practical question about poetry, which is like the whole meter and rhyme thing. Um, I don't know how to tell a good poem. I know how to tell a poem I like. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but what are your, what are your thoughts on that general question? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm uh, just very fortunate to be living in 2020 where you don't have to have a poem structured and iambic pentameter to be a good poet. I think mm -hmm. I would struggle a lot more if there had to be just, just more specific, uh, you know, rhyming patterns or... Uh, anything like that i think it would be much harder for me to get some of these ideas out hmm. but because yeah, it seems like some poets are the the sounds and the syllables are just as much a part of the of the tableau or like landscape of the poem as the ideas but it sounds like you 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 kind of come at it with a kernel of like a feeling maybe yeah yeah and then express it yeah and yeah, I don't know if Father Mike is still on, but uh, you know yeah, he I'm, said that's I'm here. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I, I had fallen out a little bit there. That happens sometimes. <laughs> um, he comes late. He comes late and has bad internet. I, he's, he's the rock. He's the rock that keeps our podcast I, going. I said some choice words <laughs> off air, so very nice. Uh, but you, you had said that sometimes it's just hard to understand poems, and I can echo that like that a lot of times in college I would be reading something and say like what what does this even mean <laughs> you know and, and sometimes it seems like they're purposely trying to be vague or I don't know uh so coming to writing myself just wanted it to make it accessible and not necessarily trying to make it so that just someone in the academic world could understand it but so that people like me could just sit down and read it and feel something and get some value out of it yeah, can if I can ask as well, like when you when you write, um, is it are you trying to just would would to convey truth or to express yourself? Like, I guess maybe what I'm asking is, are you writing more for yourself or for someone else who may may read it? And it's probably both in in certain circumstances. I, I'm just curious to that question as well of like kind of a poet's heart. Um, what's the, what impels to, to write? Yeah. And like initially, I think it's always just for me that I'm trying to figure out something, you know, I mentioned before, just figuring out things in my vocation, like why, you know, why is marriage so hard right now? <laughs> and just kind of writing about it. But I think I've found through writing more and having other people read it, that even though all of these things are deeply personal to me, I can kind of edit and form them in a way that hopefully would help someone else who might be feeling the same, the same way and hasn't been able to put words to it. I also like what I, what I like about your poems, Megan, too, is that it seems like I can almost picture you sitting down after like one of my favorites um, is this it's called birthday party. The one with your friend that calls from New <laughs> yeah. Zealand. Like I can just picture you hanging up this, hanging up the phone after this kind of, confusing phone call um with this friend who's in new zealand kind of living this bohemian drifter life yeah and uh yeah just this paragraph for the past four months he's been living in a one-man tent that's too big and his meals consist of rice and beans and he's sad in a way that makes me question happiness like it's this very particular experience that 
it might have been an hour-long phone call it could have been a 15 minute five minute check-in whatever but there's all this history behind it because i don't really know this friend i don't really know even you but i can picture the the relationship the background and then the after effect in your the last paragraphs about you weren't about paint samples and library books and babies rashes and stuff and like the contrast yeah. of the lives that like he's living this kind of maybe libertine life and you're living this kind of life where you've chosen all this constraint and restriction through your commitments but then that line like it makes me sad and or he's sad in a way that makes me question happiness yeah it's just one of those universal things that's it's like vague enough that you're like I don't really know what that means, but I also do know what that means. Yeah. Because I felt something similar to that. Yeah. And I think like particularly with just the vocation of, of marriage and seeing a lot of young people around me that are my age and living very different lives and on the surface can seem very happy. And then looking at my life and like you said, you know, maybe just looking at me like cleaning the same kid's butt for the fifth time that day and just being like, what am I doing with my life? You know, why, mm -hmm. why am I here? Um, and then <laughs> and then realizing that there is this longer, you know, bigger purpose to it and still sitting with the uncomfortableness of, yeah, but I'm still not really happy right now. I'm not right. happy in this moment, even though I know it's the right thing and it's the fulfilling thing and like it's the sanctifying thing in that moment, it still doesn't feel great. Like maybe I should be doing something besides changing diapers, growing sourdough on my counter. Like it's a GD pet, <laughs> <laughs> which is very, that's very, uh, of the moment now with this quarantine, everybody's doing sourdoughs. Yeah. We did cool stuff before, <laughs> before everyone was doing it. <laughs> I'm building, I'm building, I'm actually psyched this afternoon when we're done here. I'm going to, I went and got lumber yesterday. I'm building two garden boxes for the back patio of the Newman Center. <laughs> there you go. There you Full go. Full on coffee shop, garden, compost, hipster. Nice. Mm -hmm. nice. Dude, lean into it. Lean into I shaved it. my beard, though. I had a mustache for a month. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> but I'm, I'm totally hairless, hairless face. It was a beautiful mustache. It was great. That's right. You guys saw it. Yeah. Heck yeah, I saw it. What happened? Why do you, why'd you shave it? Where'd he go? I just got sick of it. I got sick of it. Plus, it was uh, it was a little bit like if you build it, they will come. If I just go totally beardless, then it'll get warm out. And it's kind of worked. <laughs> huh. But Can't then to, to just keep on this train, the Untitled, I think, was my ab absolute favorite of the, Absolutely. Of the first book. Absolutely. Because um, that's a, sort of a similar... And obviously, our, our life commitment is different. We have a lot more time for contemplation. and But that than a parent would but the the sense of like the contrast between your new zealand friend and your lives and the fact that he is living this kind of again i don't know what his situation is but i imagine that he's living this life where he's like kind of doing whatever he wants um doesn't have a lot of money so he doesn't have freedom in that sense but like he's he's where he wants to be doing what he wants to do on his schedule and you're on so many other people's schedules um and so you're bucking that or there's something in you that's like, why? I wish I didn't have these commitments because then I could I could be free. But I also hear this sadness in his voice um, that I know that's not where happiness is or even what is happiness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you're yeah, this untitled. Sometimes I want to leave, but there's nowhere really to go. Maybe we can run away together. Imagine this to your husband. Pack our lives on our backs to remember what freedom feels like. Leave the kids with mama and pa and drive until we feel our souls again. Hell, bring the kids too. They should see the world on fire. I, I love the way that that, when I read it, it was like this pendulum swinging between, let's get the hell out of here, <laughs> but also let's bring the kids because you know, like, it wouldn't be worth it if it weren't shared with these people that are you, you know, that are part of yeah. you, that are also your, your rashes and diapers and, <laughs> and library books and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I think specifically with that one, just like trying to get out to see like a, a dream or to just see the world like fully alive and mm. then realizing like, wouldn't I want my children to see the world fully alive? And why can't I do that right here? And like, that's still... the question. Why can't I do that right here? Yeah. And I'm still, yeah, <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> well, in that question, what have you found? 
in that question of like how how can I bring that joy into my everyday life? Yeah, or like why not now? Uh, I think I'll keep writing poems about it. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of our job to tell people like you can be holy in your house. <laughs> you can have a joyful life just fulfilling your duties. But it is true. Like if you're if you are not happy, um, let's just say like somebody somebody in the seminary discerning the priesthood or something, and they they're like, I don't know if I can be happy in this life. Um, the, there's there's a sense that like if you're not happy if you don't have like the i don't want to say the tools but the the personality like if you haven't you don't have like some measure of freedom and we're not none of us are totally free of of selfishness of of uh willfulness and all all the things that kind of are our own self-imposed prisons um of trying to master our lives master our narrative our story instead of letting god bear fruit through us but I just feel like, man, if I just went and lived that life or if I just like had my own house, like where I could escape from the parish or escape from from reality for a second and like create this life, I, w- I would be happy. But you just take all your crap with you there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so like when you're unhappy in the seminary, like maybe I'll just go date or something like if you're if you're this restless soul, that's like, I don't know what I want. I can't be content. I can't, I'm not capable of, of delight and enthusiasm of, of like whatever's in this moment here. Um, and this is a, this was a big Bishop Barron thing that I, I vividly remember in seminaries. Like you have everything at your disposal for beatitude right here and right now. Like, you know, you could be Cardinal Wynn in a solitary confinement imprisoned by the communists in Vietnam and have everything at your disposal for communion with God and true joy maybe not like i'm not enjoying this you know i'd rather be with family or with my parish or out of prison but that lie of like i'll be happy when or i'll be happy if um is the enemy of true happiness um so that's that's always the i mean i find that it simultaneously a little bit frustrating but also encouraging that like there's not it's not some thing like when i get the right assignment or when i am living in the right place or when the right people are around me then i'll i'll be able to create this life this ideal life where i can enjoy it um father nick blaha a good friend of mine his motto with the kids at his campus center was sumus talis tempora we are the times it's an augustine quote um such as we are such are the times uh you know you can you can complain about the culture you can complain about your circumstances but um the times are you you know you can you can make a sourdough you can make a garden you can write a poem like <laughs> nothing's stopping you from from doing the things that make you more human yeah. you know what i mean yeah. yeah yeah it reminds me um of a couple of things but one y'all have have y'all watched any of the clips from when uh, adam sandler hosted saturday night live again like a year or so ago Maybe some of them, maybe, but well, it's probably not worth your time. Most of it, but some of them are pretty funny. And he impersonates um, in one of the skits. He impersonates, I don't know, some some guy that his family leads uh, trips to Italy. And it's based off of like it's a spoof off of some particular commercial. But there's just this line in it. And he's giving all of the disclaimers that they don't give refunds for. (laughs) And he talks about how he's like, listen, people. We can put you on an airplane. We can't make you happy with your life once you're in Italy. <laughs> and he just kind of goes through like all of those things. I don't know. It's very entertaining. It just made me, funny. made me think of it there. Um, but what I was, when you were talking there, Connor, it was like, um, yeah, I, one of the transitional deacons I know pretty well. I don't think I've told this on the podcast, but uh, I was talking to him recently and I mean, those poor guys, like their ordination is like super up in the air, what date it's going to be. And I guess not so much anymore, but just with like the restrictions on numbers and what's going to look like and everything. And he was just talking about it one day and he had this great line. And he was like, he was like, you know, I just, it was bothering me. Like if I was honest, because I had pictured this day going in a very particular way. But I just realized in prayer one day, that everything I need to be happy is available to me right now. 
of like going back to the foundation of who I am. And it, yeah, it just, it was so transparent and um, like honest and just authentic in how he said it. The reason I say that is because it had an impact on me of like, it just, it made me, um, yeah, like want to just kind of go go back to the basics with Jesus in my own life, like during COVID or whatever else is happening in in my life. And um, anyway, kind of tying it back to what you were talking about before. I love that line. And it was just, it was cool because him saying that honestly, like very tangibly impacted me. And that's why, honestly, Megan, I mean, your stuff like I just admire your ability and honesty to do it. Um, and I, I didn't really bring like a particular poem. Untitled was, um, I think, my favorite. I also really like Covenant um, in your first set as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it's just I think the, the honesty that you that you're able to convey and speak with. Um, yeah. I mean, just so you hear like it. I don't always understand it. Uh, honestly, <laughs> kind of also <laughs> to what we're talking about, but it's like, man, this, um, this like hits, hits the heart and it just, it makes you want to be more real, or at least it does for, um, for me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think I was, um, I was kind of floored by, I thought this, you must have a lot of courage. Like how, <laughs> you're writing this stuff and publishing it. It's like, wow, she's just, she went for it right there. She just said that thing. And uh, as you write, like I'm sure everybody who reads it sees that maybe really tough sentence or that uh, it's not shocking or anything like that, but just, it's very real. And uh, yeah, I I guess I see in your writing that there's a lot of courage there. Um, Yeah, I did have one. Yep. Yep. Go on. Well, I I think I mean on my part, like I'm just very fortunate that my husband is okay with me like writing <laughs> things about like our marriage, mm. and um, so yeah. I feel like he is a lot more courageous because he didn't get to write it. You know, he just he reads what I write, yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like, yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, something that um, that you know to. To, to what we're already talking about, and it sounds like something that you've kind of realized in marriage and being married young and then observing your other friends who are the, you know, similar ages, but living very, very different lives, um, sort of like what Connor was just talking about, is, I, and I, I guess I realized this in priesthood, is that, well, not even just in priesthood, just in being human, I have no idea what actually makes me happy. Like, I don't, <laughs> I've tried it. I don't know how to make myself happy. Really, this truly. Is, this is what, honestly, this is behind me reading every word in the mass and never changing any words. Cause it's like, I'm so helpless to figure out anything <laughs> out myself. Like, what? why would I think I could improve on the mass? Like, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a like traditionalist Orthodox thing. It's just like, I'm an idiot. I, yeah. And if, if the mass is That's supposed so to be a true. reflection of heaven, it better not have anything to do with me. I can't even do a day right. Right. Like, to I do can't even go this. to bed on time. I can't. How? I can't. I make, make myself, myself crabby happy. by not eating. Yeah. Yeah. Intentionally and accidentally. And it's like right. what I see in that poem is the intersection between, and, and this is what struck me, what was so beautiful about it. Um, it's called Untitled. Is that right? Yeah is that it's the intersection between the realization that I, I don't know what actually makes me happy. I, and I see in other people who are doing the like radically autonomous thing that you would think would make you happy, but I hear in their voice a sadness that makes me question happiness. So that's yeah. like one, one line, and it intersects with the fact that I, I think what plays out in that poem is an authentic prayer in pursuit of what your heart desires. And what's so beautiful about it is it's a desire for freedom that leads out into the world, but also leads back your desire to something that's already in front of you is to be with your family and your children. And, and so there's this intersection of like, I don't know how to make myself happy. It seems like other people don't know how to do it. Um, 
And yet when I follow my deep desires, it leads back to something that's already, that God has already placed in my life. And that like this responsibility that seems so binding and limiting is the thing that I actually want (laughs) that I could probably never do on my own, but in pursuit of God's will, he's kind of placed that that's where he puts us. Um, But I would also add to that, that uh, it's not in a corny way where it's like, oh no, those people aren't actually happy. I'd be happier just settling. You know what I'm saying? Like what I like about the contrast is that there's that fire and the desire to see the world on fire that you bring back to your circumstances rather than trying to escape escape no, your circumstances. Dude, no, 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 no. It's the fire. See, that's the thing. I think that that's the fire that brings back to the home. It's a, right. it's a search for the fire that leads. But my only point is that if you, and this is what I've just found in my own life is like, you're, you're way deeper into like what God's doing in your circumstances to make you who you're supposed to be, unlock your personality, like engage your freedom in a way that's actually meaningful and productive and fruitful is not by like repressing desire. It's by stoking that fire. Yeah. Yeah, Like fully, yeah. Fully living into it. Exactly which can only be done in reality, which is what you, where you're living right now, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't mean you ha- you don't change some of what's in front of you, you know, why you don't, you build something, you write something, you create, but um, you don't go live either like physically or, or emotionally, mentally in some fantasy parallel universe, you know what I mean? And think that the, where the fire is driving me is outward. It's driving you inward. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in that poem, like wanting to like leave with my spouse because like, hey, we got married to be together. Why don't we just be together? And then leaving and then saying, but yeah, but like the fruit of our love is our children. Like they need to come. Mm-hmm. And then like, wait, <laughs> we just like we we're trying to run away to just really authentically have what we have here. And why can't we just get rid of the excess here and actually focus on what does bring us joy? Because it, it is right here. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said that better than we did. Yeah. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> Man, okay. So, what? well, I, I guess I it's kind of a personal question. I don't know if we want to stay on this, but... Um, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. You've mentioned a number of times, like just the difficulty of marriage. Um, I'm not married. I'm pretty sure Connor and Rob aren't married. It's <laughs> uh, good to know. Like, yeah, maybe just uh, I don't know. Could you just maybe say a little bit about that, like the surprise of it, um, and and why it is so hard, or um, I guess what does that mean that marriage is hard? I mean, I think the reasons for me that marriage are hard and that being a mother is hard is because it really shows me parts of myself that I I think I would be okay to not look at, (laughs) to not have to deal with, and just honestly very selfish parts of myself. And I see that, I think, more with motherhood now that I've been married for five years and kind of coming to terms with actually laying down my life for someone else. Um, But in the small ways, I still struggle a lot with my children. And it, like in those specific ways where I'm really just trying to, to take control and not, not just really enjoying them and loving them and appreciating the gift that they are, but instead really focusing on myself. And so it's those selfish parts that I think any type of vocation hopefully <laughs> is going to pull out of you. Um, it's really hard to be selfish and be a mom. It just, mm. it just doesn't work together. Yeah. It doesn't really work to be selfish in anything. <laughs> yes. But especially motherhood. Especially being a mom though. Yeah. Hmm. What about well, how, what what about it surprised you where it, like we just had Mother's Day, which happened Mother's Day by the way, Megan. Um, oh, thank you. Uh and you see a lot of cards and commercials and stuff that try to capitalize on the sentimentality of motherhood um is there anything that you like what's your reaction to that like this idealized i just imagine there's a lot of pressure of like you 
aside from like what you just said of actually dying to yourself, self-abandonment for the sake of another person. But there's also the like, yeah, just being the perfect woman, being the perfect mother, the perfect wife stuff. I just hear a lot of that from women that that pressure is, is crazy. Um, but I also think like, it's also, it's sort of like Airbnb emails where they send you pictures of, of like the Maldives or something. And you're like, I really want to go there. But I also know that that place doesn't really exist. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that photo is Photoshopped. Um, does, does that question make sense? Kind of like what, I mean, what are the, parts? like your insight into it, it's, I mean, for us, it was the priesthood. You, you come in with this kind of rosy picture of like what it's going to look like and why it's going to be sweet. Cause even though it's hard and it's a sacrifice, like everybody thinks you're awesome and uh, you get to feel really good about yourself, you know, like some, some of the shallow right. consolations of making a gift of yourself uh, sort of melt away, partly just by circumstances. God just chastens you by like making your work futile and fruitless and, and stuff. And you realize like, I can do nothing. It's my favorite gospel today, the vine and the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Yes. Um, so you have to learn that lesson kind of the hard way, but then you, once I think as you do, you start to realize like the, the messier version is actually not only the more real one, but a more beautiful one than the Hallmark version. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, anytime I have issues or struggle with my children, um, like I said, I just realize all of the, the sin in me that is, that is just pulling out and my oldest son in particular him and I just butt heads all the time. And I always say that he's oh, just oh like literally dragging me to heaven. Like he is not what? going to let me up, you know, like he's just going to keep pushing back Why? until I can just let go of all of these things that I'm holding on to. And I, I'm so thankful for my children and my husband for that, that they won't let me just um, be contented with, with the parts of myself that are I don't know that are that are not who God wants me to be. Your son sounds a real, like a real butthead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna make him listen to this. <laughs> you should be nicer to your mom, young man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Well, speaking of children, I do want to talk about the the new stuff you sent us that, um, first of all, everybody needs to go just buy your book. Um, where's the place that they can buy it where you make the most money? <laughs> well, uh, I think Amazon technically, but uh, I would totally just recommend everyone supporting their local bookstores right now if they can. So on my website, there's a way to to buy it through your lo local bookstore. So mm -hmm. if that's if you have a relationship with the store, I would definitely recommend doing that. But you, uh, you've just finished this new set of poems. You just want to like say what it's about. Yeah. Um, so my youngest son was born very early. Um, my water broke with him when I was 24 weeks pregnant and, you know, ideally you go to 40. So this was, you know, pretty early mm, wow. and uh, I was hospitalized with him for about a month and then he was in the NICU for, um, about two months. So there was just a big grieving process. Um, even though he, he made it and he survived and he's here. Um, there was just a lot that I missed with him and a lot that I had to grieve with him. And then throughout the process of just the last two years of his life, um, just got the chance to meet a lot of women and, um, and really talk to them about some of their, uh, losses and the children that they had that had died. And in a few instances, meet those children, so that's where this book came from is just a, a way to honor those children and also to just kind of come to terms with my own um, grief and just finding closure. Hmm. And it seemed like I haven't read it as much in detail as your first one yet, but I've read it all. Um, it sort of felt like, and maybe this was the back flap where you talked about how, yeah, that grief in some ways, like, even though you didn't lose your son, thank God, like you had to sort of inhabit the, the feelings of these people who did mm -hmm. yeah. to fully understand what you you were feeling. Is that right? 
Yeah. And for the, I mean, the month that I was in the hospital, you would have a lot of doctors coming in and saying, um, you know, he's not quite viable and, uh, Mm -hmm. which is just not really something you want to hear about your kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there, there was a lot of, you know, about three months of thinking he probably won't make it. He probably won't make it and making arrangements and just kind of mentally preparing myself for going home without my son. And then he did come home and he was fine and is fine. And still just having uh, this loss of, of not having a, a healthy pregnancy or even only having two thirds of my pregnancy. Um, and then because of the complications with his birth and being born really early, he needed to be in isolation for a really long time. So, and this is something that now everyone, you know, knows how hard it is, but it was about a year that he couldn't really leave the house. So as a stay-at-home mom, I, you know, was with him and my older son pretty much alone for um, the first year of his life. And I mean, it's tough. It's hard. Wow. Wow. May I ask you, Megan, on the, um, there's one in particular on your new stuff that if you were willing just to share like a little bit of the context with, it was called Four East. So I'm sure you're familiar, but, um, like that was the one that I've kind of continued to go back to. Um, and it it was, I I don't know. I just found it. Um, yeah, I'll just like the first couple of paragraphs where the last child I held was dead for at least 12 hours. Sometimes life has a way of coming to the end before it's even started. The hall was quiet with the deafness of morning, but there was a peace in your room I never want to understand. And your sweet husband was holding your boy on his skin like a prayer, and I thought, oh, to be loved like that. Um, and you continue there. Um, but I was just so moved by that. And th- that was the one... Yeah, if you're willing, like that, I was like, man, I just I want to hear just a little bit of context behind that one. Yeah, my my good friend Jocelyn, that's about her son, um, Michael Thomas. She'll be excited that I mentioned his name. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, he he was still born, I think, at 32 weeks, and just they gave both his parents gave me the opportunity to come and see him. Um, and it was just one of the most beautiful moments I think of my life. And I have two children as well, but this really was, it was just beautiful and, um, coming in and getting to hold him and see him. And I just couldn't get that image out of my mind of walking in and seeing her husband holding her son. And I remember him saying, you know, I just, I always wanted to do this. This is what what I was most excited to do was to just hold him on my chest. And, I really just thought like that is the love of our father. Like that is the love of God. And it was just such, so beautiful to be able to see that and to be welcomed into that moment. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Reading, reading a lot of your, the, well, the new stuff that you sent, it reminded me, reminded me of the time that I got to spend in one of the hospitals down here in Atlanta and actually got to serve on the NICU wing. And Yeah, just a lot of, a lot of memories around that. Um, actually, one of the first, the first girl, uh, Gloria Didi, first girl I ever baptized, was <laughs> up in the NICU and um, was yeah. It, it's just there's such uh, it there's such honesty in the poetry that um, I mean it did bring me right back to that summer and a lot of those memories and being able to walk with parents in uh in the NICU was down at Northside that's such an intense experience um for the families and for the I mean for everybody involved but it, I mean it shapes your whole life yeah. there were there were there was one couple I remember from Texas and he was visit she was visiting her mom in Atlanta but they live in Texas and by the time I met them they had been there for maybe two weeks or so Oh my goodness. Yeah. And she said, um, well, the husband, as soon as he got a call, he left because, you know, her water broke at maybe 26 or 27 weeks, similar. And she was in Atlanta. So he brought her in. And he said, my cup of coffee is still sitting on my kitchen table in Texas. Like, 
that's mm. how abruptly everything changed. Yeah. And their life was just upheaved and, and all around those little children there just sitting with them day after day is, it was very powerful. The one that, uh, got me from the new one and the swallow. Um, I assume this is about you and your husband lifetime ago. You told me, I don't know what this means, but I want to protect you, but you can't one day I will break. We all break in time. I'm so, can we spoil these poems by the way? Yeah, yeah, go for it. yeah please. <laughs> but now I hide our son in my arms and I can't help it. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you already knew the nature of love is loss. It kind of feels like there's a little bit of callback to it. I think the first one's about your son where you're holding his body, but you know, he's already gone in a way like a memento more thing. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what the question is, but <laughs> that's, uh, I want to protect you, but you can't, but then feeling like now you have that same feeling. I want to protect this one, but I can't, we're all, we're all breaking. We're all dying. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think there was a distinct moment for me, um, after being in the hospital for so long and I felt very like like that I was very open to God's will while I was in the hospital and felt so much grace for that and then at some point after he was born and he was still alive and I was surprised and then really just grew to love him as you know a unique person and then realizing like wait I don't <laughs> I I don't want whatever like God wills right now I want I want you to just be here and be with me and this just kind of like shift in that and, and having to like still let him be abandoned and let my will be abandoned to God's, even though I was so attached to him and so much more attached to him once I really got to meet him and to know him. Hmm. Hmm. Is that something that you have to constantly return to? Like, is that a battle of, because Man, I literally had that exact same prayer today. Jesus, like, okay, finally today, maybe after a couple of weeks, like, thy will be done. I'm going to authentically pray that because I normally don't, I can't pray that, honestly. Is that something that you have to return to? Yeah, I think I've, I've heard other moms say it as like, I put my kids on the altar and then I take them off and then I put them on and then I take them off. And hmm. I feel like that with my children and like, yeah, have gone both both ways with them that sometimes I'm very much at peace with, okay, like whatever happens in God, they're a gift. And like, you know, if, if their time is up, then their time is up. But then there are those moments that I find myself just really clinging. Hmm. What helps you to get back to that, to that spot of acceptance of the Lord's will? I'm just prayer. I mean, I think for me, just the like amount of time that I am actually putting myself in a point where I can really listen to God and you know my family's loud my kids are loud there's just a lot of noise in my house and so finding like really being diligent about actually waking up and praying in the morning or you know not watching Netflix at night before I go to bed but actually just taking time to talk to God what's that like not watching Netflix at night yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I had in my head like that you were one of these people that like we don't even own a TV. We make sourdoughs, and like, but you you're human. You watch Netflix. Too. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Definitely human. Yep. <laughs> Are you sure? You're totally yes. sure. Yes. What's your What's your favorite show to watch? On Netflix. Uh, well, just in general, Annie. I've been watching. Well, my favorite show was Frasier, and then Netflix took it away from me. So now I watch The Frasier. Office. Nice. I haven't thought about Frasier in a while. It's a good one. It is a good one. The Office is better though. So. Oh no. <laughs> good. Frasier's a, a, a classic person. sitcom. First of all, it's a spinoff of Cheers, so it's a, it's got some good uh, sitcom pedigree. But it's also like a half a room, you know, set. The Office was like an actual. I think it was like a totally different genre with that Mike Henry yeah, yeah, style. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's some good lines in Frasier. Um, my question is, now that we've talked about how much you like, we like your stuff, why the hell do you listen to Three Dogs North? Uh, yeah, everybody's <laughs> thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was home with my youngest, or yeah, with my youngest son, I was alone all the time. And 
<laughs> about a year and a half ago, my two friends, Emily and Cece, were like, you got, you really just need to listen to Three Dogs North. They're awesome. And I was like, what am I going to, I mean, I'm just going to listen to three priests talk to each other. Like what, what, <laughs> what is, what is that? And then I was just hooked y'all because I was alone and it just having the three of you and your friendship with each other, like no matter how alone I was, I could put it on and I could listen and I could feel like, like I'm not just pacifying myself with, you know, like television that you all are talking about things that I, I want to talk to my friends about and maybe have even thought. And so to have you all just kind of chatting with each other, um, it was just, it made me feel a lot less alone at a point in my life when I felt very alone. Hmm. So That's does awesome. your husband, does he work, like, does he travel and does he work out, out of the house? Yeah. Well, right now he's working from home, which has been, I mean, sure. a huge blessing. Um, yeah. But normally, yeah, he, you know, works outside of the house and uh, works long hours sometimes. So yeah, it's mostly me at home with the kiddos during the day. Yeah. It's awesome. So when's the uh, the new one coming out? Well, my friend Katie is finishing um, a lot of the illustrations. So mm. I'm waiting on her. And as I get them, I'll put them in and figure out how they look the best in the layout. But I wanted to incorporate a lot more of her illustrations throughout the book this time. We love the picture books, the so the cover. that's awesome. Yeah, Rob only reads books with pictures. <laughs> um, <laughs> she drew the cover on the last one? Yes, yeah. Nice. No, it's really good. He'll bring the kids too. I stink and love this. I'm on your website right now, Megan. Oh, nice. It's yeah, so it is awesome. <clears throat> I have one more question, Megan, and feel free to decline. But if you're willing, I would love like any, any, and you can pick obviously any of your poems that you want to, but would you be willing to, to read one like here on the podcast so we can yeah, hear it from your I voice? I, yeah, I think I can do that. I'm going to have to pull up the pdf some some of the words are hard for rob to pronounce so he needs yeah it's just it's it's very practical <laughs> yeah all the ones about asher have all of the the medical terms that are confusing <laughs> and hard to say um i'm looking through the new okay stuff. hey yeah while you're look while you're looking through it you know i well i don't know it i'm sure we've talked about this before but um, we are in the process. It's a long process <laughs> of writing a book. <laughs> oh yes, the book, guys. The book. Do you have a, the book. Captain, do you have a PDF book. to send me? No, no. We, we, have, have, we have a Google Doc. <laughs> it's I have ideas. some ideas. Yeah, I get. Yeah, we I, actually I have multiple working. Google Docs with yeah. words on them <laughs> so far. <laughs> We're arranging them. We're trying to. Um, it, that's so pathetic, guys. I was thinking about We're that. We're kind of busy these days, let's be honest. I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I cannot believe how pathetic this is. Um, but if we ever do get that completed, um, I, I thought about this this morning in preparation for the episode. Like, what, that would be so cool if we got to publish some stuff together, if we got to put some of Megan's poetry. Yes. In, yes. In the back, in the book somewhere. Like, how, I think that would be awesome. And in pictures, idea. of course. You guys should uh, start by writing a foreword to my book, and then we'll just... Wow. Whoa. What? Megan, you <laughs> don't want that. Yeah. You, <laughs> don't, honestly, don't do that. Take, some, take some time with that. Take some <laughs> yeah. time with that. Pray with it. And that might have been Talk to your husband about that, okay? <laughs> yeah. This is not... God will always be consistent, okay? So that's <laughs> like kind of enter into that a little bit. Yeah, do you need it within the, in the next four years? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be insane. That would be, that would great. be very cool. You give it three dogs. Mm -hmm. No doubt. <laughs> that's right. You get three dogs north. This book. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, I think I've found one. So my friend um, Cece, when she gave birth to her little girl, I got to go visit her and um, just hold her. And after you know a couple of years of being around a lot of children that had passed, it was just really beautiful to be with a child that was very healthy and alive and um, to just kind of dream about her future. So this one welcome is about her. 
When your heart lives outside your body, when you finally have something worth losing, when the days are filled with joy and fear, I will stand with you. I will bear witness because there is something here worth cherishing. Oh, Annie girl, don't you know we count the days by you? Mm. Thanks, Megan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. This has been awesome. I'm grateful you came on. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This has just been a joy to chat with you. And um, honestly, this is my favorite podcast. So I (laughs) just... (laughs) We didn't didn't tell you to say that. No. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it really is just such a joy to listen to you guys every week and like I said, my two of my friends, uh, Emily and Cece, we listen to you guys all the time. And um, they've just been very excited for me to go on and chat with you guys. So I told them I would I would shout them out. And um, but, yeah, we just really do love listening to you guys. Well, we appreciate that. And the yeah. prayers are always, always good. Pray for us. It goes for everybody. Please. Yes, Absolutely. And and we'll have our people contact your people about oh, about the forward about future literary endeavors, if you know what I'm saying. So you'll you'll call my husband. Yeah, I'll probably <laughs> see your email. See your people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Connor, I'm gonna have Father Connor shoot your husband an email. <laughs> it's code, Megan. You gotta use the code. No, you got. I'm gonna flip him on an email. Flip it. Code. Oh man, tonight I have a. Th- it's scheduled to be three hours on Microsoft Teams. Speaking of oh. business stuff, it's for a thing. That sounds awful. I'm hoping what it's one of those ones mean? you can turn the video off and, uh, you know, quote unquote, listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, I'm about to start Grapes of Wrath. Any? It, mm. Yes. Is it good? Is it oh, better yeah, than phenomenal. East of Eden? I don't think it's, it's better not, than East of Eden. No, East of Eden is better, but it's a phenomenal book. Are you a Steinbeck oh, yeah. fan, Megan? I'm not. Oh, I'm sorry. Man. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I struggle with him. I read Grapes of Wrath in college. Hmm. And you like it? Yeah, I just, uh, I struggle with like when authors use Christian or like Catholic imagery, but are very much anti like the establishment of it. Hmm. That's fair. Interesting. Yeah. So I like, I can't get over that as I'm reading it. And, and Grapes of Wrath, like the story writing obviously is beautiful and powerful, but I can't get over the Steinbeck part of it. <laughs> yeah. Separating the art from the artist. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize he was so darn it. You, I didn't oh, know no. that. No. <laughs> oh no. no. <laughs> You're talking about John Starbuck. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, He's talking about Starbucks am. coffee. Yeah. Just, Starbucks. That's it. yeah I can't that buy that stuff. coffee either. It'll get in my brain, and now it's just that's it. It's too I'm late, burning right? that book. Well, you know, <laughs> it's like it's funny. Like Graham Greene um, is one of these guys where he he was by all accounts a bad Catholic, um, <clears throat> irregular, irregular marriage wise, and kind of abandoned, apostatizing basically by the end of his life. But obviously haunted by it. Um, so that's that's how I kind of work it out in my mind. Is like th- these people are. There's a reason why they go back to these these themes, because um, it our hearts are wired for God, you know, and Christ is God, and He's the way to God, and the, the all the story. I mean, seeing history as a story rather than just a series of causal events, and like the whole thing soaked in meaning, and and it all means Jesus, you know. And so, should it w- surprise us that the great geniuses, the great talents in storytelling? keep telling pretty much the same story (laughs) you know i don't think so Hmm. you know like is john krasinski a catholic but a quiet place is obviously about jesus to me you know what i mean the movie i don't know if you've seen that but well i listen to your podcast so i've (laughs) so you don't need to see it this is no (laughs) this is one of our taglines that this this is basically the summary of all art and the internet and science and space true <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need to read, watch, or listen to anything else. 
<laughs> but I, I think most of the movies and books that I've like started for no other reason for except for like you guys talked about it. And I was like, oh, I should I should probably go read this book. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay. Hey, well, if you had to recommend one book, what would you say? Me? What book you should read right now? Uh, I would, I mean, right now I'd be reading Flannery Connors short stories, any of them. Mm. Mm -hmm. Dang. Good rec. I'm still working on Severe Mercy. I need to, I I can taste that it's about to get really good, but I just need to, I need to dive in and do a few hours. I love that book. Man, oh man. I like that book a lot. Talk about love and loss. All right, Megan, we won't keep you. Thank you so much for, uh, for being on. Um, You're awesome. No, thank you guys so much. Such a joy. Yeah, God bless you, Megan. Thank you. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.